You'll see schools of thought out there is we're just going to keep athletes out of vulnerable positions. And it's not possible, right? We've talked this whole podcast about how much variability there is in sport. So to take an athlete and try to lean them on the opposite end of the spectrum and tell them they have to move a certain way where their knees can't come in or they have to land a certain way. And Rob Gray talks about this. You're going to end up stressing the same lines of tissue over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that may actually lead to overuse injuries. So by letting them play, letting them explore and land different ways, they're going to land so many different ways. You're going to learn and self-organize and end up hopefully landing in a way that doesn't you know, hurt anything. That was Bobby White, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by our longtime sponsor, simplyfaster.com. There's two items I'd like to talk to you about today that you can find in Simply Faster's online store. Whether you're a coach or an athlete, these are both things that you'll find highly useful as tools in your training toolbox. The first is blood flow restriction training methods. And after hearing about blood flow restriction training for years now, as well as the results that athletes are getting with it, especially in, for example, uh, lactate sports like swimming, 100 meter freestyle, and not only hearing of that, but also seeing how much some swimmers had liked that type of training method, I knew I had to start trying it out myself. So I've been utilizing the air bands. I really enjoy it, both the feeling while I'm actually training with them, as well as seeing the visual results of spending time training with the methods and then the strength result. They've been a really cool training tool, and I would definitely recommend checking into airbands. Simplyfaster.com also has Be Strong brand blood flow restriction. The second item is the VMAX Pro, and this is a new option for velocity-based training, barbell tracking. It provides valuable load-based data, including speed in all phases of a lift, and it delivers key metrics such as power, velocity, distance, as well as duration of effort. The VMAX Pro system measures any lift you can think of. It's portable, durable, and intuitive. You can check out these two items and much more at our sponsor, simplyfaster.com's online store. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. As I've done this podcast series, I'm so grateful to have learned in many different areas of sports performance, meaning I've learned in human-level biomechanics, the body as a pressure system, how it uses expansion and compression. I've learned about the body on the level of levers and how the body works with gravity to an advanced level that I never would have thought when I started this series. I've learned about motor learning and how the body intakes analogies and constraints and how we lay out instructions to the athlete in a way that they can solve the problem and learn from it optimally. In my own experience, it's been a blast taking these ideas and philosophies and principles and using them in the training I write for athletes, in the way I coach athletes, and in my own training. It's also been a lot of fun to see how other coaches are using some of these mainline principles and enhancing their performance program. One coach who lately I've been noticing how he's doing training with his athletes, and I'm continually blown away and intrigued, and I just think it's such an amazing application, is Bobby White. Bobby White was a guest recently appearing on episode 178 of this podcast. He is an athletic performance and basketball skill enhancement trainer operating out of northern New Jersey. Bobby is a coach who is continually leveling up his game. It's been really fun to follow Bobby, as I mentioned, uh, just in how he's integrating Adarian Barr's movement principles into his basketball-specific outcomes, how he's using the principles of motor learning and allowing athletes to solve problems dynamically. It's been so much fun on my end to check what Bobby is doing with all these specific applications. So Bobby is back on the show, and he's going to be talking to us about how he has taken these concepts of general human movement, general speed, uh, levers, and he's applied them to his basketball-specific outcomes. Bobby on the show today will talk about his thoughts on key physical abilities in basketball, and then how he uses motor learning principles to help athletes improve their specific skill array for the game. Bobby will also speak on how he's taken these motor learning principles, and he uses them on the terms of landing mechanics, and I might put that in air quotes there, <laughs> and um, common injury prevention themes in training. And Bobby has an awesome history with keeping athletes healthy as they go throughout his programs. Finally, Bobby will talk about how he specifically seeks to develop the all-important confidence level in his players through their training sessions. Even if you're not a basketball coach, these themes are universal. These are principles that have been talked about so often on this show, 
And it's so much fun to see how Bobby is taking them and integrating them into his performance program. It's really inspiring to learn from him and the applications and ideas Bobby is using are universal pretty much no matter what you're doing in the athletic performance field. So I'm really excited to have Bobby back on the show for episode 300 here. Let's get on to it. Bobby, man, it's been really cool to just like check in with what you've been doing on social media the last few years. Like I'm always so excited to to watch your videos and see what you're up to because you're you're taking so many of these concepts and I see it played out in the sport of basketball. And even since the last time you were on the podcast, tell me a little bit about what you've been uh, learning and integrating into your basketball training since the last time we talked. Well, it's really funny because the last time I was on this podcast was November 2019 and we were, I don't know, four and a half months from <laughs> the uh, pandemic that we did not see coming. And being on this podcast is uh, honestly a big thing that is triggered to the development in my coaching styles and everything that you're seeing that I put out today. Being forced to shut down, get out of my gym, and not have everything that I had gave me the opportunity to really dive in and learn and progress who I am as a person and as a trainer. So I want to thank you for that. And then, I mean, from all the Zoom calls we did with Adarian, everything we did, and being forced to get creative, you know, not being able to be in a gym and I was working out in my friend's front lawn. We hung a pull-up bar from a tree. We had some cinder blocks and we had, you know, a Darian, a constant conversation with him the entire time, you know, just kind of checking in with what we're doing and what he thought. And it just kind of spiraled and spiraled. Yeah, I've had some recent podcasts talking about this. I mean, linear speed is cool. I love it. I love track speed. But like when we can take some of these methods, I mean, and Darian is a track guy in his own sporting experience as well, at least his athletic background. But when we take some of these speed concepts that can be very general, or very linear, but then we can be creative and like port them over directly into a sport. I just think there's so much like creativity there. And I think there can be so much confidence for athletes in their sport with that. And so I'm curious, what are some of the Adarian Bar methods that you've learned? Uh, maybe we could just start with some core general concepts and how you've taken those and how you're plugging them directly in with the basketball athletes you work with. Yeah. I mean, what you just said is exactly what happened. I commented on one of Adarian's posts and I said, can I do this with a basketball in my, in my hand? And he goes, yeah, sure. And then I was off. Right. And then it was like, everything was unlocked. And for so long, I was trying to see, you know, there's, there's the whole strength side of everything in the weight room. And then there's the basketball side. And I, I was missing something that could tie that all together. So I believe he became that kind of person that started to help me tie everything together, everything that we're going after in the weight room in terms of physical abilities to tying in the sports specific skill, there's a movement piece, there's a sprint piece, if you want to call it that. And how are we going to tie that all together? So the initial thing is just, I mean, the athletic, athletic posture or squatted posture and getting players to understand that. And it's not exactly the same for everybody, but I can take any athlete, walk into my gym, put them where you want them and bend your knees until you feel your heels about to come up while keeping your chest high. And then they've established an athletic posture. And now it's how well can they maintain that? And if I look at the best athletes in any sport, doesn't matter what it is, the athletes are able to maintain that posture until, and I put a dot, dot, dot after until, until it's time to shoot, until it's time to make a cut, until it's time to drive. We're in that athletic posture until we're going to do something. And the players that can maintain that end up having the most opportunities for action. So just getting a player comfortable in that posture and staying there is huge. And it, I, I watch it transform athletes very, very quickly once they start to understand it and get comfortable moving in that squatted athletic posture. So with athletic posture, I know another concept that I've seen you utilize from Adarian is like the falling drills. Like an athlete will, and I know basketball is almost an epitome of that. And it's something I never thought about until yeah. Adarian mentioned it. I mean, I played basketball in high school, but where I mean, so much of basketball is you're moving, you're moving, and then you drop and fall into the, the cut you're going to make. And right. so could you explain a little bit about that concept and how you're, you're working the falling element and reactivity element into uh, athletic basketball movement? So if I'm looking at falling, I, I believe there's a vertical fall where I'm kind of falling straight down, right? Getting down. I can be up in a lax position, dribbling down a court or walking. And then that initial drop or fall where I'm getting straight down. And it's not I don't even feel when, when I'm doing it right, when I'm coaching falling, I'm not going down, but I'm almost pulling my pulling myself down where my feet come off the ground. And now I'm just going with gravity and it creates that reactivity where 
the best way I teach it is I can put a basketball in somebody's hand or a dowel where they're standing up tall and relaxed and simply drop the ball or drop the dowel. And they're forced. And I tell them to pick up the dowel right before it hits the ground or pick up the ball right before it hits the ground. And they're forced to move with gravity. They're forced to move as fast as that implement is falling. And they'll start to do it and they'll miss it. They'll miss it. They'll miss it. And you just let them practice that. I don't need to really coach much. And now you'll start to see where their feet are lifting off the ground, where they're not pulling their feet up. They're actually folding and dropping. And then from there, there's the horizontal fall. To teach that, I, I can do it in a put a player into their athletic posture and just cue them to let their knees fall until they lose balance. And I call it like a fall and catch where we're in a squatted athletic posture and I just have them push their shins forward, get their knees over their toes, their heels are going to come up and they're just going to fall. And initially they're just going to take one step and catch themselves. And I just want them to gain comfort in that act of falling and feeling that they're not in control and then just catch themselves quick. Once they get that, I'll progress it to a fall and a run where they're not popping up right away. And now we're going to start to work on that transition from that horizontal because a lot of players will get stuck. They'll go into that horizontal and it'll be like a pause before they get moving horizontally. When they, when they fall vertically and then before the horizontal, there's a pause or there's like a stutter and they're not comfortable with that. And then it's just about smoothing that transition. So we're getting down and then moving forward where we want to go. And it becomes effortless. And it's pretty simple to teach. Yeah, I like that. I one thing I was working with, and this was just for, for just pure linear speed with no sport application. And again, I think that one of the things with this podcast is no matter what sport you work with, primarily basketball, football, soccer, track, like the starting point is always just running in a straight line with nothing and then take that concept and then you can plug it into your sport of choice. And one of the things that I was working with a lot this past year was just the idea of, yeah, just that, that horizontal forward, just like let both shins drop forward or knees drop forward uh, as far as you possibly can and then see what happens. Right. And I found that in like a 10 meter sprint that there was almost like a balance too. Like if I, if I dropped them as far as I possibly could, that I had to really make up for it. I stumbled almost too much, but if I didn't let them drop at all, I was slow too. So they're always, it's like you're, you have to play and experiment with that a little bit to help the athlete achieve the best goal. However, I mean, maybe we can get into that with motor learning as well. Like, but I, I just think that well, I will say like that is part of my teaching process. You must feel like what it is like to let those shins fall forward until they're not going to because so many athletes will just do the opposite and just, you know, shoot out at 45 without letting the, the shins drop at all or whatever. And so just making that a constraint, a, a learning constraint where whatever it is, your sports skill, skill, be it the first few steps or basketball or whatever, where you have to experiment with that because I know just in watching so many um You'd see it in basketball all the time. You probably see it in other sports too, like football, like a running back all the time where those shins are both almost cranked horizontal to the ground for the real mm -hmm. athletic players, you know? And so to create grounds where, yes, this is the constraint, I, I think there's so much there for, for basketball or really just about any sport. But I, I like how you've, you've taken that. Yeah, and it's going to change from athlete to athlete. You know, not every athlete I have, shins are going to drop the same amount. It's going to depend on ankle mobility. There's going to be different factors mm -hmm. that that change from athlete to athlete, but what you're talking about motor learning and allowing them to sort of self-organize and figure it out, it happens. And I end up getting athletes that come in that are rigid, that have either been coached to be rigid or just rigid in nature. And this starts to allow them to relax and just find out what's optimal for them. Yeah. With the falling two or the straight horizontal falling with like, and, and I'll put some of these videos in the show notes but like where you just drop the stick, like you're, you're half squatted in athletic posture, drop a stick, let the drop of the body happen, catch up to it and go. My first exposure to that was before I even met a dairy and it was just basic weight room oscillatory isometrics where you're doing like a split squat and you have to let yourself fall. And I found that a lot of athletes, even in track, had a really hard time with that. And the ones who had a really hard time with like a split squat where they just let the weight drop were usually the ones who were great accelerator accelerators but once they got into upright running they actually struggled more and i think they struggled to have that that optimal relaxation ability and i found that if you actually had those athletes drop the weights slightly like hey all right you have the weights in your hands and just kind of open your hands a little bit let the weights fall a little bit and catch them and i still use that that q and idea with like uh, even on in the online space where sometimes it's harder to communicate things that's an easy one like it like to have to catch something really helps people to to get that fall for something as simple as just as just lifting a, a weight or, or linear speed it's just cool to see that applied 
to something that's even more dynamic, like a like a basketball first step. Yeah, and I mean, just the whole principle of shin angle change and falling that there's so many different ways. Yeah. Like, how do I coach it? I, I could come up with concept after concept, drill after drill of ways to coach that. It doesn't need to be forward, change the direction. Now I have them falling to their left or falling to their right. I could even uh, off one leg, I'll put them in that squatted posture on one leg and fall, or I'll put them in a, a, like a low split stance. And now instead of driving through the ground, they're just letting their momentum move forward out of a split stance. And I can take any of the positions we see in sport and kind of just build around that. I mean, there's endless possibilities just by using this principle and then not even falling straight. I, so, so I can work from kind of the top down, which is where we're in a posture and we're falling. And I've also seen a great benefit working from the ground up where I can put them either in like a crawl stance or a bilateral kneel. And now they have to almost pop up mm-hmm. and catch themselves. So if they have, imagine a crawling position, but both hands are on the basketball, right? And now before they can move their feet, they have to lift the basketball off the ground. After that lift, there's going to be a fall. And now, again, they're going to have to self-organize, catch themselves, and figure that out. And I can take any of these different starting positions and put a different wrinkle on it. I just I, I watch the game. I see what I'm trying to elicit. And I can just come up with thing after thing. And it doesn't really matter as long as we're getting that feeling. Yeah, I know. I don't know if it was a, probably about two years ago. Yeah, I think it was Yeah, somewhere around that time when, when COVID first, first hit. I'm not sure where in there, but it was almost viral when it was um Adarian and then Dixon Sports was doing a lot of this. You start in the double, the tall kneeling, and then just pop your knees up and then go and sprint. And it's like, that's another constraint on shin angle change or or getting the shins into a position. And so, I, yeah, you, you do that with a basketball then, like the athletes, like sitting in a tall kneel and they have a basketball and they have to try to pop their knees off the ground and find a way to get out of there, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. I do it all the time. And uh, initially, they're going to want to push, put the, so if they're, we're in a bilateral kneel and they're going to want to push the basketball into the ground to lift them up. And my only cue is don't do that. So they <laughs> have to figure out how to generate the momentum up yeah. and then catch themselves. And the players that struggle with it struggle to get on their arches, right? They're, mm. they're, they're going to come up and either their toes are out or whatever it is. And they're, they're struggle to get and maintain pressure through their arches on the ball of their foot to, if we're trying to move horizontally or get downhill. So, and again, I don't need to, they're going to find that out very quickly how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. For, hey, I, I love the ones, the, the movements where just the athlete is given the chance to self-organize. Yeah. Tony Villani was just on talking about just the, the push-up start for a young athlete, just where you're lying on your stomach instead of trying to teach kids who aren't even strong enough to oftentimes accelerate correctly, trying to teach them the quote unquote right technique, just ha- put them on their stomach and have them get up and self-organize for that element of speed and that would be almost more tied to like a 40 yard dash where you aren't in some ways where you're not it seems like the shin angle version where you're in a tall kneel would fit more with a lot of it's like that but it's like that for sport movement so i'm almost picturing like you could do like wide receiver training like you could just start your route like that actually not that you would actually start like that but just different constraints of it you know any sport position you could start in a tall kneel where there's some sort of like instant change or you have to have your eyes up and your chest up so uh, the, the progression there. of this bilateral kneel to the next thing was now they're holding the ball, they pop up and now we get, they, they let go of the ball, right? So they're, uh, so they just pop up, their knees are just off the ground, shins are horizontal to the floor. Now they have to let go of the basketball and catch it right before mm. it hits the ground, right? So we're up, drop the ball. I got you. And, and, and you have, I mean, I don't know what it is, a tenth of a second or less to find that, react and make a play. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like even if you weren't a basketball person too, I could maybe in the weight room, maybe I had a six pound medicine ball just because I think it's a good, good drill, right? Like we'll talk about yeah, good oh, drill. I just, I'm just lucky to play a sport with a round ball that we can do all this stuff. You can, <laughs> this, can, this can apply. It doesn't have to be, it can be any, and that's where people like, they look at the basketball and it, it's not really important. I just happen to coach basketball players and you can take anything that I'm doing and really apply it to any sport. Yeah, that's that's the universal stuff that I think the universal principles that I think are are really cool with it. Yeah, and on on Tony's podcast, he was talking about football players uh, when they're kind of in a zone, like they want to actually like a defensive player wants to play basketball, quote unquote, more and not have to run. Like you want the other player to have to run and get out of playing basketball. It's almost like if we look at sport archetypes, what happens in basketball, which I think is a little bit more organic in many ways, like it's. It, you, know, you have a round ball, there can be a beat or a rhythm to the way you dribble, 
there's more room for a little bit of moves and creativity versus some other sports that are offensive where there's hard lines and hard posts and things. I mean, I'm sure that exists, you know, plenty in basketball as well with set plays. But I think that I, I feel like basketball carries a lot of general qualities to it that are very intuitive, like that are very that does allow for a little bit of creativity as well. And just the general movement there can apply to so many things. And so, yeah, well, I was the, yeah. So to cut you off, I had a kid that trained with me. He thought he was going to play college basketball. He also was a wide receiver. He's like six, five, great athlete. And the entire last two years, all he's been doing is training for basketball, doing all this kind of stuff. He got to the end of his football season this year, and he just picked up two Division One offers for football as a wide receiver. And I, I just reached out to him to congratulate him. And it's like, honestly, I believe it's all the different work we do on the court. And, you know, obviously we do all the strength training stuff too. But it was cool to hear that and see that. Yeah, I love that. I love For me too, I think that I, I'm a little bit of a, you know, like just the way, the same way that like Ido Portal is a movement generalist, like where you don't, you don't get, or that philosophy, you don't get like too far into any given thing. And kind of like for me and my perspective as a podcast host too, and learning about the different sports, it's, I feel like I'm trying to take on the general nuance of each of these sports, of basketball, of football, yeah. of te- te- working with tennis. I actually can't, I sadly don't have enough time in this lifetime to get too far into each one of those. But the more I can see them interconnect and almost like lay this map out in my head, that that's so helpful for me. And so, yeah, I just think basketball, yeah, the, the things you're working on bas- in basketball have so much to offer all the other sports. Yeah, I believe everything is in that balance of, of structure and chaos. Mm-hmm. So we really have to be careful going down any of those rabbit holes because once I once I start really focusing on a nuance, as you were saying, and I'm, I'm, if it's mobility, if it's something, I can be spending a lot of time at something that isn't moving the needle. And I always need to be aware of the athletes that I'm training and what their goals are and what I believe is going to get them closer to what they're trying to achieve. And so if they're coming to me to get, get stronger, they think they're coming to me to get stronger, right? They may tell me they're coming to get to get stronger. But if I put all my intention on strength, what you're doing, strength program, strength program, strength program, I am completely neglecting why they're really there. And that's to make their varsity team mm-hmm. be a more effective basketball player. So I always need to be careful of uh, going down those rabbit holes and putting too much time into one thing, because th- there's a lot of things that can move that needle. And it might be different from athlete to athlete, but I just need to be aware. I think it's super important. Yeah, I think that that general awareness of of moving the needle for them to be more effective at their sport that's that's always that's it the goal and yeah straight I think speed can be the same way too a lot of people are like all right I want to get faster and yeah you're going to come train with me and get faster but there's all these other things that we can be working on so and always being mindful of and I think that's in many ways that's been one of my main growths as a coach is seeing and even looking at it from just a general human perspective like here's all the elements of just the general human level of athleticism and here's all the things that we can work on uh, speed included that ultimately i want you to be better at your sport and not just not just better at the 10 and the 20 or you know whatever whatever lift you want to improve on but we want to fully round that out so you can be better whatever you're trying to get better at and i've seen it time and time again i can athletes will get stronger they'll get faster they can jump higher but they never develop the understanding of how, how to actually use that yeah. right all of those physical abilities simply give us the more opportunities for action. Those abilities, whether it's stronger or faster, that just allows me more action capabilities. The players that succeed are the ones that understand what they're capable of, understand how to use their physical gifts and actually apply it into a way where they're making effective decisions in their sport. Quickly, I wanted to let you know about the chance to try out performance herbalism for only a few dollars shipping costs and get one of Lost Empire Herbs' flagship products, Pine Pollen, for free. Switching to an herbal emphasis in my supplementation has been a life-changing switch for me. Just as nature is by design balanced and sustainable, I believe that the more natural our diet and our supplementation is, the better. I love and use several Lost Empire Herbs products that boost not only my energy, but also my strength. These include Chiliagit Resin and the Phoenix Formula. You can check those out by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and grab 15% off. If you're on the fence about the power of herbalism, I have a great offer for you, which is that you can get free. You do pay a few dollars shipping, but you can get free pine pollen. Pine pollen is an herbal powerhouse that is a hormonal and energy booster packed with nutrition. It's actually part of the Phoenix formula. And you can get that for free uh, along with the normal shipping fee at justflypinepollen.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. 
We were talking about this just a little bit before uh, the podcast. I, it'd be, it may be good to chat on it now because I do want to get into um, like the real key, maybe the key physical abilities and key translations onto the basketball court that you feel can make a difference. But I think we were talking about like Luka Doncic, you know, like a guy who's not who clearly is using what he has about as effectively as anyone could. You know, if it's like, I mean, he's not a very fast guy relative to a lot of other players, but like what, like what does he have that, that makes him so effective with what he does? And then in along those lines, like what are some of those key physical abilities on the basketball court that are really going to make a difference in taking the speed you have, the strength you have into the court ability to play the game. So with Luca, the, Thing that is most amazing about him is you cannot speed him up right Luca is Luca he's on the court and he's going to play at his speed and no matter what you throw at him no matter double teams no matter how much pressure he doesn't get sped up he processes the game and he processes all the information at his speed and you watch what he does I, I like to look at almost everything as a race but it's not always a race in terms of speed it's like a, a race to position mm. so he'll he'll be at his pace he'll be playing in that kind of calm manner not fast not jumping super high but he has that ability to just wait and be patient wait and be patient and then he sees a moment and he can exploit that moment and he can make a decision very very fast so he might not be fast physically he might not be the greatest athlete in the NBA but he's probably the greatest at making those decisions yeah that's interesting. It makes me think about too. I, I love using games and and just just general games. Like no matter what your sport is, I'm always thinking about just kind of general human level games that can bring out different things. Is there any more general concepts or ideas or setups that you utilize that you feel like can build that patience in athletes and individuals? And I, I say this too from a, I mean, as a basketball player, like I was all about jumping as high as possible, doing <laughs> the best dunks, being as fast as I could, and I left tons of other skills on the table i'm sure i drove my coach nuts because i had like i had created that potential you know to be a really good basketball player just from physical and speed but he would just see like this insanely inconsistent <laughs> athlete as i yeah. played and so anyway sorry um yeah just curious how how any sort of constraints or setups to help people develop that patience um, in either a specific or even a general setting i think general is real hard and, and yeah. not having the context of the sport is really hard to do. And I, I think it would, I don't know if it'd be a waste of time. I, I would just, because I have the court and because I have the ability, oh, yeah. I'd rather have that context. So honestly, it's the easiest way is to put people in unpredictable uh, positions where they're playing with athletes that are maybe different size than them, faster, stronger. I can manipulate the rules of the games where it's a uh, one on two or two on three or three on four, I, it, whatever it is where there's going to be more chaos. And it's funny, it's making me think of, I train my dog a lot. All right. And, and I, I'm going to compete with her. And there's, there's these trials that I'm going to go through. And what I, what I hear in the dog training world is you want to train for things that are way more difficult than the test that you're trying to test, that you're trying to pass. So if my dog has to do a hundred yard retrieve, I'm going to train my dog to get comfortable doing 300 yard retrieves. Right. So the same thing, if I'm trying to teach a player patience, I want to throw all different types of variables at this athlete that are going to help develop patients. And that's chaos. And it's just getting comfortable within the chaos and learning what tools you have, whether it be strength, speed, all this different kind of stuff we talk about, and really how to start to learn how to make good decisions. Yeah, it strikes me too. I mean, I like the lens I'm gaining from doing all these shows, I, I you know, when I watch sports now, it's it helps me to understand what's really going on. But I think about like Tim Duncan, too, like, he's like, Mr. I think my friend called him Mr. Yawn, like he wasn't like yeah. fast, like super fast or explosive. But I, I could see that guy just having a patient demeanor, no, no matter what yeah. was happening. And so that like that almost being a constraint and throwing chaos at people. I, I really like that idea. And I think that's where if you're going to the gym for a workout, either by yourself or and you're just getting up reps and you're going in there and shooting 50 shots from this spot, 50 shots from this spot. And now you're doing dribbling drills, crossing over at this cone. There's none of that. You're not going to get any. So you can build a beautiful jump shot on your own, shooting thousands of shots every single day. But until you have somebody running at you that yeah. doesn't care about your feelings, right? <laughs> it's not going to hold up, right? If I'm guarding you, I, if you, if you spend all your time shooting alone in the gym with no chaos, it's, it's not going to hold up once there is. So we have to expose athletes to that chaos. Yeah, that was one place where 
uh, both in my own training. And then I would talk with the, uh, when I was at Cal, I would talk with like the basketball strength coaches. And I just remember this one instance where there was a guy on the team who was like a walk-on. He was like the gym rat, always working out, always, you know, shooting and doing drills on his own. But then when he got in the cast of the game, he was really impatient and kind of, you know, herky-jerky and, you know, kind of nervous. And to me, it's like, you don't, you can't get that just playing you know, on your own. Like you can't get that doing shooting drills and how many did I make or dribbling around trash cans, no matter how much you do of it. And it's almost like, I feel like, and I, I say this from my own experience, like I almost feel like if you do too much of that on a level, you know, I don't know, I'm sure there's been tons of great NBA players who do a lot of work on their own. But for me, I feel like I, I almost, I was not helping myself by doing that extra work on my own because where my biggest struggle was, was always in the chaos, especially with really athletic players on the other team where my little strength that I thought I had was taken away. And then I was horrible. (laughs) And so if I wanted to be better, I needed more chaos. I needed to be exposed to those situations more often. And even in just general games in the gym, I think it would have helped me too. So I I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. And those NBA players, I'm not trying to bash time alone in the gym because it's important and and reps do matter. But at some point, we need to put those reps up against the test that we're going to face in competition. Yeah, I think too, I forget if it was Frank Francis or someone else, but they talked, I feel like it was Rob Gray. Yeah, it talked about, and I think about this all the time, I think about the answers always, the ultimate answers are so often found in nature. Before we try to like come up with all these systems and especially before your club sports and early specialization explore, like that would be a major downfall of some of the modern, I think, systems of bringing up athletes but if we look at just athletes playing like soccer in third world countries or something or, or places where they don't have anything you're gonna see uh rob brought this out you're gonna see like a kind of a not perfect court a kind of a altered tilted landscape you're gonna see different age players like you mentioned playing with someone bigger someone smaller you see athletes of all ages growing up so the the smaller athletes have to figure out how to navigate and manage the chaos of having kids like three years older than them playing and and vice versa and it's almost like we lose that in a way by becoming so homogenized. Like everybody's, you know, the same age, same grade, same level. Here's the rules. Like we don't bring athletes up at all like that. Just here, roll out a ball and all these different age kids are are playing. And I think we, we have to kind of make it up later in some ways, right? But so many coaches don't even think that way. It's never yeah. like a thought on the table. So to use that now, if you are alone in the gym, can I do anything that's better than playing a live defender? Probably not, but there are ways that I can get that same type of feel in a training environment, either by myself or with other people. We're not playing, but how can we get all the things that we just talked about when I'm in the gym by myself to use jump shooting very simply rather than shooting in the same spot 50 times? How about I'm at the top of the three point line and I'm facing the other basket and I have to jump and turn in the air, right? And now I have to find that rim and focus very quickly. And now I'm actually working on something that I believe will have more carryover to the competition or finishing rather than just going in there at half speed, you know, doing a regular layup. If I go up and touch the backboard and then finish, Mm -hmm. and then when I get good at that, touch the backboard, finish on the other side, then touch the backboard, do a 360 layup. All these things are going to bring out athletic qualities and things that will actually carry over to the game. And it's bringing back to what Rob Gray talks about and everybody in motor learning talks about is a repetition without repetition. We can't train perfectly for a game that's imperfect. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That was a video that you had posted that I really liked. And I think you even like, yeah, with those players, like, because I thought about myself as a basketball player, like I would have loved doing that because I mean, how fun is it? And, you know, as a player to just like, all right, you're going to do a reverse layup. Oh, the coach saying, oh, that wasn't perfect. You know, whatever perfect is, right? (laughs) But versus I get to make it more chaotic, like. And in those posts, you had posted something interesting and it said, you know, and again, I, I know we're talking a lot about basketball, but like we've already discussed, like these, these concepts are for anything, no matter what sport you coach, or even if you're a strength coach, not necessarily coaching a sport, you can still create this in any games you play for athletes or have these ideas in your head because it makes the training more interesting and more fun and then more chaotic. And I think that's awesome. But you had posted, someone might say, oh, you'd never use that in the game. Like, oh, you wouldn't spin like that in the game. And so do you have any thoughts on that to the people who say you wouldn't use that uh, skill in the game? Uh, what do you, what's your take on that? <laughs> I tell them they'll never use that skill in the game. My athletes will at some point. And <laughs> if they don't, they're going to become a lot better athletes just by trying it. And that's what you'll get coaches and people that think 
they can only see a moment, right? When are you ever going to do a 360 layup? And I'm not trying to say, it, is it a high probability shot? Is it the best shot? Should they, but like they think that because I'm having an athlete do a 360 layup, that this athlete on a break is going to go in and just pull out a 360 layup for no reason. And that's not the case. I'm looking at the, the abilities that are getting drawn from the athlete from this. So give me an athlete that can do a 360 layup. And he's not going to be bad at finishing. Like it's going to be hard to find one. So I could go into the gym and I could spend a half hour working left foot, right hand layups or something extremely basic that any athlete can do hundreds and hundreds of times, but that has no context, right? I'm trying to find things that'll actually carry over. Yeah. With that in mind, I'd like to take it, zoom it out a little bit to something that's maybe a little bit more general is how do you view that? With how you look at, let's just say landing mechanics or landing. I don't even like to say that word landing mechanics, but like, how do you view, how do you view landing? Like for, especially for like female athletes you might work with in, in light of variability and, and everything we just talked about. Uh, how do I view <laughs> landing? Like it's so, uh, I, I mean, I love how like a daring has such good answers for this where it's built in, yeah. right? If, if we work on jumping, if we work on sprinting, there's going to be a lot of landing involved. In terms of like trying to keep an athlete out of vulnerable positions, is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah, yeah, basically. I, I think that happens with general strength training. If we get a player stronger, right? If we're, we're going to increase tissue health and be able to train more on the court. But so you'll see schools of thought out there is we're just going to keep athletes out of vulnerable positions. And that's not possible, right? We've talked this whole podcast about how much variability there is in sport. So to take an athlete and try to lean them on the opposite end of the spectrum and tell them they have to move a certain way where their knees can't come in or they have to land a certain way. And Rob Gray talks about this. You're going to end up stressing the same lines of tissue over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that may actually lead to overuse injury. So by letting them play, letting them explore and land different ways, they're going to land so many different ways. You're going to learn and self-organize and end up hopefully landing in a way that doesn't you know, hurt anything, in my opinion. Yeah. A research study I would really like to see laid out. So if there's anyone who needs like a master's thesis idea or research idea who's listening to this would be, uh, it was Dan Cleather who had said that uh, there is research. I'd be curious to see, like to have the link for it in front of me, but like the athletes who were at risk of knee injury or had maybe had a prior knee injury when they did the jump training, which I'm sure involved like if it's a research grade jump training, I'm sure it involved just like some sort of landing where your knees weren't allowed to go in, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that for if you were at risk, it was helpful for preventing recurring or whatever they were measuring that would that would indicate knee risk. The research I would actually like to see, and, and I'll say this too, is I don't, you know, for at risk, if you're not at risk, I, I imagine that doing that could actually be counterproductive because it is reducing movement options. But I would like I would love to see a study taking at risk, you know, individuals and having them do maybe one on one side a more controlled, like typical landing knee prevention type thing. And then the other, just having them do like a lot of different landings, like with no instructions, but just like a constraints led approach to that. And then you take both groups and then measure whatever you're going to measure. And I mean, you'd also have to almost have like a different kind of measure, maybe like a just, I, I, maybe even like, I love it. where you're going. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if we took, an, <laughs> we took an athlete with these tendencies that look like they're going to get injured. And what if we expose them to more, whether it's yeah. uh, constrained speed, let's run sprints. Let's expose them to all different types of things and see what happens rather than like I, I may, I can hypothesize. I can think here that these injuries are happening because their training doesn't back up what they're doing in competition. What they're, you know, if they're sitting on a couch all day eating potato chips or, mm -hmm. you know, training in a safe way and then they go into an unsafe environment. Yeah. They're probably going to get hurt. But what if we can start to kind of dose that unsafe, right? That little bit of chaos. And I'm not taught, you know, don't jump off a 10 foot you know, uh, yeah, there's a, a box on it. Right. Right. But progress it where we're getting them right to the edge of their ability. And from what I've seen that they're going to start to move better. And I like to get into this, the, the whole injury predictor and all this kind of stuff. It's hard for me because I've yeah. trained thousands of athletes for the last 10 years. I think I might have one ACL and one MCL out of thousands of athletes. Mm -hmm. And no, I'm not trying to say that what I'm doing is like, I could just be lucky. I'm not trying to, you know, hang my hat on anything here, but that's what I've seen where I don't need to go down these rabbit holes because my players aren't sustaining these types of injuries. So it, it doesn't go anywhere for me. 
Yeah, you had said too, and this I was thinking about this, if we were looking at our perspective study of the two groups, is I think that if there was a good lifting program at the backbone of those two groups, especially like the high variability group, like it's almost in my way, as I see it, and Bush Dexter was talking about this on when he was on the podcast recently, is just being able to do a good deep squat can really give you the backbone to fix a lot of things. And the more I've talked with like people like Angus Bradley being on talking about, you, know, you get a little bit of a slant board for the squat, you can hit heels on the way down. You can shift yep. into the midfoot on the way up. You can go full 3D range. You get the knees out a little bit, in a little bit, exposing all parts of gait, and you can do that and put some load on it. Man, like you're doing pretty well. And then go and do yep. your sport, and you can do probably a lot of things and and be doing all right. And what you said is, I, I don't post a lot of it, but that's that's what I do with everything that you just <laughs> said is exactly what I do. Right? That that is what is done for me on a strength in the strength perspective. I've been starting now. All my athletes coming off season. I'm going six to eight second eccentrics. I'm probably not above 80% load, but for new athletes coming in or athletes with a low training age, I'm putting them in a double rack kettlebell squat, front squat, goblet, what, I don't really care what squat, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm emphasizing that slow eccentric phase. And I, within a couple of weeks of that, and I don't need to do too much crazy. I don't need many variations. We can do some single leg work, some squat work, some hinge work, a lot of things like that. But I, I'm, I'm, selecting an appropriate load where we're going to, let's say we're doing five reps, six to eight seconds. They're getting to a pretty high RPE. And in three weeks, they, they're stronger and they start to move. They start to look better. Yeah. A good deep squat cleans like, yeah, like Boo was yeah. saying. It just, it, it, it is funny because sometimes I think I can sometimes get in the, like be a little jaded in the sense of like, oh, strength doesn't fix, you know, strength isn't going to fix everything. But it's like, yeah, a good deep squat is going to be able to go a long way. Like, especially when you know what you're looking for, too. I think on the being able to get the full spectrum of movements, heels on the way down, and then capturing the rest of the foot on the way up, and just knowing some nuances there, too. But I mean, even if you don't, just being able to deep squat well, it can really help a lot of things. Yeah, and that's, I'm, I'm looking at every athlete I train as a case study, and I, I'm going to let them kind of just do what they do initially. And I'm looking if there's that weight transfer from heel to forefoot you know, on the way up. And sometimes I don't say anything and then I'll turn, you know, I'll look at another athlete <laughs> and I'll come back and they're doing it. Yeah. I didn't even have to say anything. Yeah. And that's valuable for them where they didn't need me. They, they figured it out and they, they might not have even known they figured it out. It just happened. And I, I try to let my athletes have those opportunities to figure things out themselves. So it may look like I don't care and I'm not saying anything, but I am watching everything that I can. And there's so much in that and it's not just the deep squat will clean things up. I mean, simple things done well will clean a lot of things up. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to st- uh, stress tissue to create an adaptation that allow them to play their sport more, right? Where they're not going to break down. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish. Let's build the house. And then when we go out into the storm, we're going to have a strong foundation. Yeah, that's good stuff, Bobby. Uh, so maybe we can keep going with that a little bit in the sense of, well, even just like learning. One of the things that is always in my head was when I had Kibway Johnson, the hammer thrower on, he talked about like basically from the moment that athlete starts their hammer throw, you know, three or four turns and then you go and throw it. Like everything he says to them for that, they're almost takes away from their maximal potential, if that makes sense. And I always think about that in the sense like it's almost like the empty cup or it's like a, it's like a pot that you made and the pot works because you didn't make that pot and put a bunch of other stuff in it (laughs) all the other stuff you put in the pot before you give it to the customer or use it yourself is gonna kind of take away from just the maximal effectiveness of that and so i really i really enjoy what you're saying with as well like you give the athletes a chance to figure that squat out themselves and i feel like even like a goblet squat on a slant board like man give the athletes enough reps and that's a constraint that's going to let you figure some stuff out like i could i would see if you just did a back squat with your feet flat on the ground that yeah, some athletes might solve that problem in a way that's not ideally conducive. But there's versions of squats that if you give athletes enough time, like they're going to figure it out, you know, and they should at least. And Angus Bradley has been talking about, I was just on his podcast, you know, anterior load and the uh, heel elevated squat and it goes a long way. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the, 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 with that pod analogy, it's like I'm, I'm by giving an athlete that type of squat setup, I'm handing them an emptier pot basically in, in a way like, if I'm teaching them a back squat or like, yeah, I like Olympic lifts, but an Olympic lift, like it's kind of a situation where I have to be a little bit more active in that situation. And I really value, I, I'm valuing more and more situations. And I think about it myself, just where 
and I was like this in, in at least track and field. And I actually feel like it was a good thing in, in some senses, but I, I feel like I had to fill like the technical bucket for all these events. I had to learn them myself <laughs> and, and I, in javelin actually ended up digging up my elbow doing that. But for my other events, my jumping events, like being naturally instinctive from basketball, I think actually a lot, a lot of the way there was, was helpful. There was some things that a coach definitely could have helped me for some of them for sure. But giving the athlete the maximal, I guess, empty cup. And then if they can't, if they can't fill it themselves, if they really can't, okay, now I'll step in. Okay, now let's give you something here with that mentality. And I mean, how do you, I mean, I guess, how do you, how does that play out for you on the court as well? Like with how you design drills and, and setups and things that like, like giving them a chance to figure it out versus, hey, I want to see this. Let's try this type of activity or motion. Yeah. So we, we're talking about a principle and th- this principle can be applied to a squat, a hammer throw or a jump shot, right? It's the same thing. So for a jump shot, any cue that I make that is going to help have the athlete think about their body is robbing them of focus of putting ball in the hole, right? Putting the basketball in the hoop. So the last thing I want to do when I'm jump shooting is think about where my elbow is. Think about my, uh, use your legs. I'm not, if I'm thinking about using my legs, I'm not thinking about putting the ball in the hole. There is a reason that all the top jump shooters kind of shoot the same way. We can look at things that are, you know, across the board, very similar. And that's because it's efficient. It can handle speed. So what I can do on a jump shot, and Rob Gray talks about it in his book, is amplify the flaw or yeah, amplify the flaw, amplify the error. Yeah. So teaching players, right, by amplifying what's wrong with it. And a way to do that in bass, he used a golf example where players on their backswing weren't transferring their weight to their back foot, right? So he took one group of golfers and told them to go work on transferring your weight to your back foot on your swing. And he took the other group of golfers and he said, keep the weight on your front foot, right? While you backswing. The group that kept their weight forward, doing the opposite thing that the, of the desired outcome, had better results. I don't think that was actually Rob Gray. It was just a study in his book. Yeah, yeah. But now, so I read that. And now how can I apply that to basketball players? And again, to use a jump shot because everybody knows what that is. Very simply, I can, if there's an error, I can amplify that error generally with speed where now I have the player simply focused on shooting as fast as they can. And if there's a hiccup, if there's a hitch, there's a whole bunch of things that simply adding speed will correct and make it fluid. And I don't even want them to really be focused on the make at first. Mm-hmm. At first, I just want you to focus on the speed. Don't worry about make or miss because that's a whole nother story, but I don't want you to have an emotional attachment to the, to the goal. Mm. If you miss, I don't want you to think you're bad. I don't want to say it's bad. And that's from inner game of tennis, right? We, we want to get out of the self one and self two where not everything requires an emotional response. So I could take their focus now and take away what everybody wants and that's make the basket and just put it on speed and now kind of congratulate them or give them some praise if I feel it's needed on just executing what I would what I want them to do. And that's speed. And I've seen that clear up so many forms because again, what I said in the beginning, the form we have when we jump shoot is similar across so many players because it's efficient and that's going to come out with speed. If you haven't heard of the Elastic Essentials course or seminar, I wanted to quickly fill you in on this transformative educational opportunity. This past year, I put a comprehensive course together on the evolution of my training system, and it's called Elastic Essentials. I designed this to help coaches deeply understand the principles by which human beings produce effective athletic movement. I've spent many years trying to figure out why athletes were getting stronger in the gym, but they might not have matched that strength with their explosive and dynamic abilities. And I've experienced this both as a track coach and a strength coach, and it led me on a journey to really dig in on those key elements of explosive, ballistic, and quality athletic movement in a way that really gives athletes or leads athletes to their full potential. In the Elastic Essentials course, I highlight my evolved view on plyometrics, sprinting, strength training. I go in depth on the foot and lower leg dynamics to a level far beyond anything I've put out on this podcast or social media. And I also speak on how I totally shifted my approach to maximizing key body weight elements that not only helps athletes move better, but also helps them to reach their athletic strength potential. The course is tied together in a detailed programming module, and it also offers five awesome bonus interviews on top of the main curriculum. Not only will this course accelerate your evolution as a coach, but it's also worth certified CEUs for organizations such as the NSCA and NASM. 
Coaches who have taken this course have said it's the best Con Ed money they've ever spent. They've said they would pay multiples of the listed price, such as saying they would pay $1,000 for this course. But you can get this course right now for a fraction of that. And you can head to JustFlySports.com to check it out and sign up today. Also, in addition to the online course, I'm hosting an in-person live seminar July 22nd and 23rd in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can check that out as well on JustFlySports.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. I like that. I, I wish you were helping me in basketball when I was in high school because I, I was so emotionally attached uh, to, to if the ball went in or not, like yeah. to the point where it, it really hurt me. I mean, the best moments I ever had as a basketball player was I remember one time I hit a game winner at the very, with one second left. And the only reason I made it was because the, the coaches were drawing up the play for like all the other, they on the bet, the point guard and our shooting guard. And they're like, Joel, you go stand on the corner, basically. Just, just Joel, get out of the way. Like, don't be in the play. And for some reason, I almost knew the play was going to self-destruct in my head. Like, and so I wasn't necessarily, but there was no expectation. The point guard or the shooting guard was supposed to make the basket to win the game. I wasn't. And Mm -hmm. then out of desperation at the end, they just chucked it to me in the quarter and I just put up a jump shot and swished it. And like, but then I tried to remember like one game later, I was like, oh yeah, I made the game winner last game. Tried to make a game winner the next game and like set myself up for it. Of course, missed it. You know, it's like, and I had very similar experiences in practice where if there was no expectation, like I could light it up. But as soon as my ego comes into play, I'm judging myself. So I, what I'm saying is I would have, I think about that for all sports skills, no matter what, who you are. And, and even for, I think, you know, even linear speed sometimes, like we, we love timing gates and we love timing ourselves. But sometimes you actually have to take that time off the table and you have to like, you have to play around with some of these variables, even either constraints led, differential learning, or when you said uh, magnify the air, that actually put a fun thought in my head. I was like, oh, well, it'd be kind of fun to like try to try to run without dropping your shin and see what happens, you know, yeah. and use that as a constraint. Like, all right, so see what happened. You weren't allowed to drop your shin as you sprinted. And now use what you learned there and magnify that air. And then we'll try to find a way to, to work that. And you, you just set my mind on this like long path. So, man, I, I love that taking the emotion out of it. That's, I think that's so powerful. Yeah. And I've done this and I've seen so many athletes that, I promise you, this is a bigger problem than the physical abilities. Yes. It, this, is, this is the thing that's going to move the needle more than anything. And it's, I think, the hardest thing to accomplish. Yes, strength training, all that type, it's very complex, but it is way simpler than what we're talking about, taking emotions out of things, right? Being able to be present. All this kind of stuff is what moves the needle more than anything. If, if you can kind of rewire a player's mind into instill in, in confidence where that shot you made, there was no thought. You caught it, you threw it up, and it went in. And that's what the great players do. You, know, you watch the All-Star game with Steph Curry. He's throwing up the ball from anywhere. And there's mm-hmm. no doubt in his mind that every time that ball leaves his fingertips, it's going in. There's no doubt. And the best players I have, the ones that end up getting scholarships, they have that similar characteristic. They have very little or no self-doubt. The players that I, then I also, on the other hand, have a lot of players that get bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled and never really do much with it. Yeah. I almost feel like that can be a band-aid too for the players that had self-doubt. It's like, oh, I have self-doubt in the court, so I'm going to work harder to get bigger, to get stronger, to get faster. And, and you never address the thing that was really getting you. I mean, again, that okay. was me. I, I, that's I was, the default. Well, that's, I'm sorry. That is the default answer for people like me and you. That's who I was in high school too. I have a bad game. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to grind more. I'm going to sleep less. That's not what I needed. I had the hard work thing right? I had all that. That's not what I needed. Yeah, no, 100%, 100%. I mean, I've been looking at it some ways, like my ego going around some of the, the main things that I've done, even as like a track athlete, like high jump or triple jump or, or just like um, even just sprinting. I think I used to try to find the exercises I could do outside of the main thing to make me better at the thing. But I got so carried away with those because I wasn't regularly being measured in those. And I got pretty good at them. I got amazing at hurdle hops. But my high jump didn't get better. It actually got worse because I got too good at hurdle hops, you know? And it's like everything I'm learning now, especially the mental and emotional and being able to make a game out of things and being able to really dig in to what your mind's doing during things, during the main thing. Like I'm revisiting all these main skills and I'm able to put a different spin on it that makes it all way more effective. Like all my training now, if I'm doing something specific, it's way more specific than it used to be. But it's all now I'm putting on the principles of motor learning, mental and emotional 
and it just it's all become more effective because yeah i used to try to get away by finding exercises and finding you know just or just shooting around by myself or places where i wasn't getting you know judged for things i wanted to avoid that and man, yeah like and i was always the person too who could throw up the second shot that didn't mean anything and it would go into yeah <laughs> uh it's just it's it's interesting how do you i mean it's obviously not easy i mean and we wear a lot of hats too like strength coach sport coach skill coach sports psychologist like and do you have any, I mean, I know you were saying just throw it up as fast as it, you can. It doesn't matter if it goes in. I, I could see that as, you know, taking judgment away. Is there any other process you have for those athletes who doubt themselves? Like, like what would be like, I mean, I mean, that's just one right there. I, so it I, I believe this is something I have in me that maybe some people don't as coaches. I, I, I can flip a switch and I, I can get pretty intense. All right. And I don't do it because I enjoy it. I, I do it because I see that it, it has an effect where a player that struggles with confidence, I'm going to test his confidence. And I am sure to always back it up though, with a hug at the end and a smile. Mm. And I will tell that athlete that I love him. Right. And I point out everybody. So if I have a group of eight to 10 athletes, I will single out everybody and have a direct conversation with one person talking about their flaws, right. Or something that I'm seeing if if it's an effort thing or whatever it is in a group setting. All right. But I don't just select one athlete. I select all of them from time to time, from session to session. So they all have to experience this. And I, will, I bring them kind of through that trial. I bring them through that a little bit of pain, uncomfortability, but then I bring them out of it and tell them why I did it because I'm trying to prepare them for where they're going to go, right? I want them to you know, almost fail in the dark so they can shine you know, at, when the lights are on, right? So I'm going to keep putting them in positions that they're going to fail. Yeah, I love that. It, it reminds me of two, you know, two conversations I've had recently on this podcast. Um, one with Kurt Hester, you're talking about at the core of being like a, a strength coach, but any coach is that like making the athletes feel seen and heard and then loved. And like when you take those things away, every training will become less effective. And I, I just think that's so massive. And then I also think about Austin Yoakum talking about when he sets up his more general games for athletes in a general strength and conditioning setting, he wants to find what that athlete is bad at or the, and he will give you a game that you're going to be bad at, that you're going to fail at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so critical. And then, but then coming back and supporting the player, not just, yeah, I want to see you fail. Like, haha, like, no, like, Hey, there's, here's why this drill is in here, you know, or this, this setup or this psychological constraint even. Right. And no, I'm doing this because I want to make you better. I'm going to be hard on you, but we're going to come back and I, I just think that's, so, I, I see those, those different elements that have been talked about on the show. And I, I love how you're doing that. And I think a lot of coaches will steer away from having those direct hard conversations with the best athletes. And I take them head on. So if I have a group of eight kids and there's one, one athlete and they're significantly better than anybody, I'm going to go directly at them, right? Where I'm going to, I'm almost going to cater the workout and I might sometimes do it differently, but there are times where I'm going to cater the workout right to that best player. And I'm going to, demand things out of him that even he's not capable. So if he could touch the outside of the backboard and dunk it, I'm going to have him touch the outside of the backboard and dunk it on the other side of the rim. Right. And nobody else in his class can do this. Not even him. Right. And now they can see him struggling. Mm. And now I'll be hard on him. I'll make jokes and whatever, you know, and the lesser athletes or athletes that struggle with confidence will see the best player in there going through struggle and overcoming it. And he becomes a teacher. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That I think that's yeah, that, not just about the one person, but also using the other people in the group. And and it's, I want a culture. That's what I want my culture to be. You're going to come in here. We're going to and it, it becomes so much fun. And then there are times where I need to put my foot down. Where like maybe the fun gets a little out of hand, and there's no more focus or intention anymore. But we like the last video I just put up, where everybody has a smile on their face, and more often than not, there are serious moments. But those serious moments might be two minutes, you know, out of the hour, two minutes out of the two hours mm-hmm. where I get very serious and I have a heart to heart and I have a, you know, a truthful, direct conversation with somebody, but that allows us to be lighter when we are doing other stuff. Yeah. That's good stuff, Bobby. I'll close out with two questions, maybe three, but for, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see what the time's like on these two. So what is, uh, as per your book title and a lot of your, your hashtag is what is a good drill? And what is a bad drill? Uh, you can take those on one at a time or both. Uh, it's up to you. I'm going to try to do it as quickly as I started writing good drill, period, because I got tired of writing captions on Instagram where I would spend all this time. You know, I'd, I'd make the video, edit my video, 
and then write, you know, a couple paragraph caption. And I'm like, nobody is going to see this tomorrow. Like I'm going to post today and it's going to be forgotten. It's not going anywhere. This isn't the medium for that. So I'm like, I'm tired. Of this. I'm just going to write good drill. I'm not saying I'm, and it, then it's a joke. It, how every, you know, so many of us are putting out videos. This is the best drill for this. This is the best exercise for this. And it's like, it's bull crap. Like, no, it's not. It, it, it It's good, you know? And that's, so I'm just saying, I, I'm not the best. I'm not better than anyone. These drills aren't the best. They're not the answer. They're good. And uh, I think that was a, I don't know. It's kind of just my sarcasm. And um, now it's kind of evolved to where like, I'm this guy that makes good drills, which I think is so funny because that was never even the intention, right? It was just, I, I guess, laziness on my part, writing captions and kind of poking fun at people saying they're the best. And now it's become like, people, hey, what's a good drill for Like I get asked every oh, single yeah, day, people you. are tagging me that like, <laughs> I am the creator of good drill. And I think it's so funny. So it came um, out of you getting asked, hey, what's it? Because I could, sorry to interrupt, but I just, that makes sense. Like I see that because that's always what coaches or a lot of coaches ask first is instead of look at the whole <laughs> with motor learning and the concepts, they're like, hey, what's a good drill for this? <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, if it's you understand a, the yeah. principles, sorry, if you understand the principles, the drills are endless and it, do they matter? Yeah, but not as much as the principles, not as much as what we're after and the thought process. And I don't want to teach players to move. I want them to learn how to move. Yes. Right. And once you start to understand that and you, and you go into kind of the constraints led approach rather than traditional counting sets and reps and time in the gym, the opportunities for good drills are like endless. Like, uh, you know, what's, what's a good drill for jumping, uh, jumping, you know, <laughs> yeah. jump. like, and it sounds so reductionist, but find me a better drill for jumping than jumping, please. Yeah. You know? And now it's kind of evolved where I'd say, you know, a good drill is one that's going to get player closer to what they're really trying to accomplish. It's closer to the thing rather than doing stuff that looks like the thing. Let's do more of the thing that they're trying to get better at. And I don't know, a bad drill is something that uh, is just not getting us anywhere. I don't know. Something that's going to put a player, you know, I don't know, putting 800 pounds on a 14 year old kid's back or something. It's probably pretty bad. I, I think if we start looking at, drills and exercises through a lens of how can we make this more efficient how can we make this more effective how can we make it better right and, and you can take anything from ladder drills to this or that all right we're doing this but they're trying to do this and how can we bring it together and and make this better so everything that i do whether it's a weight room exercise to a, on the court I'm, I'm just trying to make it better i want to make it better and if i'm really on that path to make it better I'm going to start doing things that are different where I'm not out actually trying to make things that are different for views. The things I'm doing now are different because I've been on this path of making things more efficient and better. And that's what's separating me. I'm not out here trying to be different. I'm not here, you know, trying to just do things that look cool. I'm not post. Here's an exercise that'll get you that. No, I, this is, this is a good drill. <laughs> yeah. It's almost sarcastic in a way because that it's not even necessarily about, you know, it's not the perfect drill. It's just good. Like it's good. It's in a way it's almost, I look at it as it's not, we're not searching perfect drill. We're looking good enough that it's based off principles. Like it's based off of the principles of motor learning and it's maybe it's the drill itself. I don't know. Probably getting caught in the nuance, but it's like. It's a hundred percent sarcasm. Yeah. Uh, sarcasm. I wouldn't try to think too deeply into it because I didn't. <laughs> it just kind of evolved on its own. This was really me just putting out something. I got tired of writing captions. I'm going to write good drill because I think it's funny. So don't try like it's it's evolving on its own, and I'm going to let it go wherever uh, wherever it's going. But there is no real meaning other than me trying to be sarcastic and funny. Yeah, nice. All right, well, I'll leave it there because my over analytical self will try to yeah. take it too far. All right, yeah. well, we do have time for one more. So, uh, last thing, Bobby, what are some things in in modern basketball or just you know sports in general? Because again, so many concepts from basketball can branch out. But living in the information age, you know, the digital age, where athletes have all this information, they can see all the drills. Or all the things, and how do you feel like sport is? Like, what have been the, the benefits and drawbacks of kind of where we are now compared to where it was maybe twenty years ago? Yeah, we have an abundance of information and no substance, right? Now, how can athletes get more substance out of all this information? And I think that's where it's going to take more coaches, more trainers, more people putting out stuff that are leading players to substance. So I don't post as much exercises in the gym and squats and things like that because I don't know who is consuming it, right? So I can say this is a good drill, this is the best for this, but honestly, we don't know who is watching. We don't know if that's a 13-year-old kid or a 50-year-old man or who's doing it. So I don't wanna lead people to somewhere that has little substance. So I stick with more of the drill on court things, 
because it's an opportunity that I think is safe and anybody can go out there and kind of explore their own movement options and that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to take more people with a similar mindset that we're actually trying to provide something of value and something of substance. And I think we get there by talking about it. Cool. Yeah, I like that. Well, good stuff, Bobby. It was great having you on the show, man. I mean, I just need to get out and train with you one of these days. I need to, (laughs) I will be a better basketball player at age 38, 39 than I was at 18. So I'm sure you could make it happen. I just, I love talking about speed and physical qualities, but I also love the things that have to do with just play, with exploring, with being with, with the round ball, with infinite possibilities. (laughs) I think we all need more of that. I think that's the beauty of uh, that. I mean, that's the beauty of what I'm doing. I've got this set up where we can put weights and kids and strength train and on the court. And it really, I never lose sight of what's important. Right. And I, I just, I, it's impossible for me to lose sight of it because I'm in it every day, seeing both sides of the spectrum from skill development to athletic performance. And it's, uh, it's cool that it has come this far and it is cool that it is starting to be recognized because in the beginning it wasn't, it would, I, I don't know. I felt like I was being judged. I don't know if I was actually being judged, but it's like, if you met me as a strength coach, I was a strength coach. If you met mm-hmm. me as a skills specialist, I was a skill specialist and I couldn't possibly be good at the other one. So I, I think it's really, I mean, I just, I'm grateful for guys like you that, you know, have the level, you know, coach and trainer you have on here that just gets me like how, how you're thinking right now and how you want to come out here and do this. Every time I listen to guys you have on, that's how I am. I will take something and I will just ponder it. I'll think about it. I'll explore it. I'll try it. And then I'm going to try to teach it and, and then make it my own. So uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, you're welcome, Bobby. It was awesome having you, man. Thanks for tuning in for another show. Appreciate having you all here. We'll see you next week with another great guest.